Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. The scripture this morning is from the Old Testament, Psalm 46, in regards to God's defense of this city and people. To the leader of the Korhites, according to Almat, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble with its tumult. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of the city, it shall not be moved. God will help it when the morning dawns. The nations are in an uproar, the kingdoms totter. His voice, he utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord. See what desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear and burdens the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. This is the word of the Lord. Hear now this word that comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Next weekend, as many of us celebrate Halloween, some Christians, Lutherans and Presbyterians, and even some Congregationalists will remember another holiday the one that marks the Protestant Reformation. On October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther challenged the Roman Catholic Church's theology of salvation and sacraments, beginning the religious movement that has become known as Protestantism. Although the United States was once a majority Protestant nation, the demographics have changed. The once commanding two-third majority has slipped to 50% of the population, and many who are members of Protestant churches like ours are uncertain of the meaning of the word, the origin of these traditions, or the very basic insights of Protestant theology. It's interesting to note that those who followed the teaching of the new reform movement did not come to be known as reformists. Rather, the nickname that stuck was Protestant. Luther, as well as John Calvin and our Presbyterian forebears, were protesters more than reformers. That is, they stood against the religious conventions of the day, arguing on behalf of those who were suffering under religious and 
social and economic oppression. These religious protesters accused the church of their day of being too rich, too powerful, enthralled to kings and princes, having sold its soul to the powerful. The Protestants preached and taught and argued for freedom, freedom, spiritual and economic and political, and for God's love and mercy to be experienced in the life and person of Jesus Christ and to be embodied in the church and the world. It's time to put the protest back in Protestantism. For the core of our faith is the courage to challenge injustice, to give voice to those who have no voice. Protestantism enabled all people to experience God's grace and mercy, and it began simply as it began for our third graders this morning, when they were gifted with the Holy Scriptures, the Word of God, giving people a Bible in a language they could read and hold dear and understand. The early Protestants believed that they were not only creating a new church, but they were creating a whole new world, a world in which the people around them would live in a place that resembled God's vision of peace and justice. The essential Protestant impulse was to resist powers of earthly rule in favor of the power of God's spirit to transform human hearts and society. Protestants, early Protestants, were not content with the status quo. They felt this deep sense of discomfort and unease within. They knew things were not right, and they set out to challenge the world. For those early Protestants, the good news of Jesus Christ, the word that we call gospel, was compelling and bold and transformational. Knowledge of the scriptures and a unifying relationship with Jesus Christ produced a freedom to remake cities and nations and entire cultures in ways that reflected God's concern for the whole people. Jesus was for them truly the hope of all the world and the one given the name above all names. Yet for so many people today, the gospel of Jesus Christ looks like a bowl of lima beans. Instead of a truth that's enthralling and expansive and energizing, Jesus seems like bland fare, pale, dull, uninteresting. The one who is dubbed the Prince of Peace in the light of the world has been reduced to something that's bland and mushy, a bowl of overcooked lima beans. The fruit of the vine of the modern gospel seems to be a bowl of lima beans that's been on the back of the stove since you woke in the morning. In our trendy and postmodern mindset, it's difficult it's difficult and very uncool to take Jesus seriously. His example and his teachings are, well, they're, they're just too specific. They ask too much of us. They make us deeply uncomfortable. For he wants us to be devoted and zealous, which is not at all popular in an age of tolerance. To take Jesus seriously is to bring all the nitty-gritty details about his life 
his wanderings in Galilee, his experience with his disciples, and his, his way of addressing the authorities into full view. Jesus from 10,000 feet is close enough. The Google Earth view of Jesus identifies only the most prominent and attractive storybook features of his life and his teachings. And it brings nothing into clear view and takes nothing seriously. Such a Jesus may be mildly interesting, but will never rise above the faint praise and raised eyebrows. Jesus Christ, the Lord of life, the God of creation, the incarnate one of redemption and salvation, the God who guided the Protestant protesters, calls the church to be the light and salt of the world. Jesus of Nazareth imagined a people engrossed in energetic self-giving mission, a mission that stretches to new links and demonstrates a costly love. It's a faith of protest that inconvenience itself regularly to seek justice for those who are oppressed or distressed, all in an effort to display that the kingdom of heaven is not just an idea, but a reality come to earth. The love of God and Jesus Christ, through whom God is at work in the whole world, is no lima bean. This love is meant to be communicated by the sacrificial love and compassion displayed by Christ's body, by the church, by us, to the whole world. By this love, all people shall know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. Love is the central ingredient in a gospel that's life-giving, truth-telling, justice-filled, and hope-inspiring. And to give ourselves away in such a love is to devote ourselves to the important matters of peace and justice, of mercy and faithfulness. When the leading Christian voices call out in loud tones over minor matters over, say, our freedom to say Merry Christmas during the holiday season, we reduce the gospel to the size of a lima bean. But if such leaders, for example, call for the church in the United States to give away its Christmas billions to the poor and distressed and desperate of the world, it is an example of the love and generosity of Jesus Christ, then that would be a profoundly different action of love. Now I have to admit that I actually love lima beans. I tried to grow them here in Michigan this summer, but I planted a row. They were right there next to the bush beans, which produced in great abundance gallons. But nary a lima bean grew in the patch of soil that I planted there in Dexter. I love limas because there is something magical in the beauty and simplicity of that small little bean. We actually call them butter beans because their taste is savory and delicious my garden produced zilch, nada. The plants grew strong and tall, but nary a bean graced our table this summer. So I have to say that God is at work 
in all of us in all things, fashioning for us an image of the gospel that takes us out beyond who we are to what the world might see, taking us to a place that the early reformers saw. For what they saw in the heart of the scriptures that they worked so hard to free was that God's specific and particular actions in Jesus Christ give us all access to the depth and character of God's purposes in the world. They saw that when God was most focused, the consequences were most dramatic. For God so loved the world that God gave the only begotten Son. God in Jesus Christ does a most specific thing for the greatest possible impact. Look at it like this. God's gift of love is like using a telescope. Through the small eyepiece of the lens of the telescope, i.e. God was in Jesus Christ, we're offered a direct view into the holy and cosmic heart of God, the idea that God is love. Through the perspective of the very small lens of the telescope, a whole new reality opens before us the brilliance of the starry night sky. We come to know the meaning of love by loving and being loved by real people in real times and real places. We don't come to know it first by an abstract ideal when we're loved in particular, specifically, we gradually begin to love more broadly. If we love as God has loved us, the immensity and scale of God's holy and cosmic gospel is evident in the salt and light of our engagement with the world. We will be far more like Jesus described us, tangy and buttery and full of great and spicy good news. But this can seem all so complicated and all so heady. So how do you live this way? How did Jesus live this way? And so it hits me. Maybe like you. Like Micah and the prophets before him, Jesus had a motto, a creed that was pure and simple. And to form his tagline, he rolled two great ideas together. And not only did he think it and say it, he lived it day in and day out. Imagine him saying to himself something like this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. He said it to himself at morning, at wakening. He said it at noon, at lunch. He said it walking about Galilee. He said it at work and at play, at prayer. He said it to himself when he went to sleep at night. Love God. Love your neighbor. That's the creed. No advertising agency created it, I assure you. Love God. Love your neighbors. It's thousands of years old and emerges from the same fountain of wisdom that gave us the Ten Commandments. No surveys or focus groups were involved. And no one, especially me, is trying to sell you anything with it. It's not a slogan. It's a creed for living life. It springs from the great old story of the prophet Moses and God's devotion to the sons and daughters of Israel. 
It begins with an ancient statement that formed the heart of the Hebrew religion, the Shema. Hear now, hear now, I am the Lord. Hear now, I am the God of the universe. Hear now that I stand in a relationship with you. So it is from Moses to Malachi, from John to Jesus, the whole Bible witnesses to this elemental truth. God loves us. In spite of us, God loves us. It's an easy thing to speak and to say. It's an easy word to banter about. But it's difficult to absorb. And so Jesus, I believe, gave us a simple creed for living these days. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. It's not a prayer to say half-heartedly. Indeed, it called the people not only to a personal and intimate and trusting relationship, it called them into loving with their whole being, body, mind, and spirit. A love that would move people to do and act as well as to feel. A love all-encompassing. You shall love. It seems the prayer says the obvious. And yet there are times in my own journey when I feel clueless. Perhaps this is because I can't arrive there on my own power. I can't bury myself in books or in the experiences of others. What do I know about love? Not much. Not much except what my family, my wife and my children, my mom and my dad, my grandparents, my family of faith has taught me about love. It's as if I'm constantly reminded as were the Hebrew people before me, that God sends other people from the community to you and to me to remind us not only that we are loved, we are accepted and embraced, but that we are called out of ourselves to love the world. For to love, you have to climb out of the cradle, said Thomas Merton. You have to climb out where everything is getting and grow up into the maturity of giving without concern for getting anything special in return. This makes me realize that love is not about making a deal. It's not about a grand bargain. It's not something to be packaged or marketed. It's a form of sacred worship and of living in the world and with the people around us. Henry Deming, a congressman from Connecticut, reported that when Abraham Lincoln was asked why, with his obvious interest in religious matters and his familiarity with the Bible. Lincoln did not join a church. He is said to have replied, When any church will inscribe over its altars as its sole qualification for membership, the Savior's condensed statement of law and gospel, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind, and love thy neighbor as thyself, that church I will join with all my heart and all my soul. Thanks be to God, for we are becoming that church in this day. Amen and amen. Let us unite our hearts and minds in prayer. Mighty God, you are our refuge and strength. 
an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. We praise you with all our hearts and voices and bless your name. For you have shown us your grace and mercy. And for you have saved us from destruction and rescued us in times of trouble. Lord, revitalize your church and every mission to serve the world, which you so loved that you gave your only Son, Jesus our Savior, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. May all church members remain faithful to you with steadfast devotion, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Lord, we pray for peace in our nation and the world. We pray for communities that are affected by gun violence. We pray for the safety of our school children and our schools. And Lord, we pray for peace in the Middle East. We pray for those who are internally displaced in Syria and Iraq. We pray also for communities around the world that are being affected by Ebola virus disease. Most gracious God, in Christ you have become our Savior, no messenger or angel, but your presence saved us. You lift up and carry those without strength. Lord, give rest to those who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens. Heal the sick, mend the broken body or spirit, deliver those in trouble, and forgive the sinning who look to your grace. Lord, may we, do, may we do the right things in our relationship with you and in our relationship with anyone. May we be your eyes to see human need your ears to hear cries for help, your hands to gently touch and support the weak, your feet to go wherever you are, we are needed. Lord, keep this congregation strong to do your will on earth as it is done in heaven. These things we pray in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another sermon from First Press.